0: been poured. The candle is lit. Welcome to the Horror Salon. I am your co-host Andemic. And I'm your co-host The Witch. And luckily we don't have shards of glass to clean up. That was a hard clink. That was a hard-ass clink. Hashtag hard-ass clink. Hashtag hard-ass clink. (laughs) Love that. Uh, Tonight's candle apple spice toddy.
1: And it smells delightful. It's like that perfect winter smell. (gasps) Spiced apple, cinnamon, nutmeg, all that fun stuff. Good stuff. It's great. It's great. Um, Welcome, horror nerds. Thanks for sticking around for episode two of the season of stories. We're excited to kick this one off for sure. So tonight we are, I mean, as most of you, if you you listen to season one. Um, for some of you, this might be new, but uh, no, Andemic and I are really partial to ghosts. Yes, we are. We we love ghosts. Um, so tonight, we knew if we were going to do an entire season on stories, we had to feature ghost stories in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so tonight, that's exactly what we're doing. We're talking about the history of ghost stories. Um... So, to kind of go along those lines, um, the Pazoo's Mm -hmm. of the night, um, I I went ahead and I made another fun, fancy drink, um, and I tried (laughs) to keep it on theme with ghost stories. So, I made something tonight called the Forbidden Sour.
0: Oh, God. What's in it? I can (laughs) smell... um, bourbon yes it yeah. is a bourbon
1: based drink so it's very i i thought it sounded really mysterious to me forbidden it's forbidden sour. sour so i was like okay mysterious that goes along with ghost stories um and i got the recipe for it on liquor.com which i think i i shared last week um it's just a really awesome directory of drinks like if you are a craft cocktail person you really like Uh, cocktails Mm -hmm. but you're not totally confident in your abilities to make your own concoction um this place is the place to go because they have all of the basics that you need all the basic cocktails and then Hmm. they also have some like different takes and different spins so i go here all the time um to try out different stuff so i found the forbidden sour in their directory and it is a bourbon based cocktail um but what makes it Fun is that it has pomegranate liqueur in oh, it. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's going to be a little more tart um, because of the pomegranate. There's some lemon juice in there and then really rich because of the bourbon, obviously. So you're going to get a little bit of that. And then it has a simple syrup, so some sweetness too. So I think it will, in comparison to last week's drink... I think it'll cut the bourbon flavor for you, Andemic.
0: You you always I say that. I, I think it will. Like the, with the sour now, I think it's gonna be good. So it'll taste less like saddle. Less like I'm licking saddle. A leather saddle. Less
1: saddle, more sour. Okay. There you go. Let's let's do let's it. Let's try it out. Hmm. Nope. No. <laughs> Still saddle? Nope. Still saddle all the way.
0: Sour saddle. Sour Saddle. Like if Sour Patch Kids made a saddle. Sour Patch Saddle. I do do appreciate the craftsmanship of this drink, though. And I can taste the other flavors. Yes. It just is not... Bourbon is hard for me to do. I know. But Mm. do try, if you are a bourbon fan or just a fancy drink fan, do it. Yeah, for sure
1: because there is like it has the t- the richness of a bourbon like the velvety smoky richness of a bourbon but it has that sweet sour pomegranate taste yeah. to it so it's like it it those flavors balance out for me um which makes it pretty sippable and good
0: for me on uh, i think i might like it better on ice
1: oh that's fair
0: the bourbon at the front is is off putting to my palate but then the back end i get that pomegranate flavor really well for sure and that i like
1: yeah for sure for sure so
0: so yeah we're
1: gonna be sipping on these well done for the for the for the remainder of the evening i'm pretty sure I'm it's gonna, gonna give me
0: forbidden heartburn
1: oh i bet it will i bet it will i bet it will so tonight like I said, we're talking about ghost stories.
0: Um, can can I say ghost stories and or scary stories? Yes. Because and I'm I'm qualifying that simply because when I was a kid, ghost stories and scary stories were s- synonymous with one another. Yes. So most of the ones I'm going to tell are ones that I remember from my childhood, and they aren't nec- they don't necessarily have a ghost in them.
1: Well, you know what's interesting that you brought that up is that um in my research on the history of ghost stories that actually falls right in line with what ghost stories typically are so um to kind of launch into that idea uh ghost stories i mean they're they're typically short stories Mm -hmm. right you do have some novellas you do have some longer novels fiction sure um uh that feature ghosts, sure, but typically you're going to be talking about short stories when you're talking about ghost stories. And, you know, they can be classified as stories that have actual ghosts in them. So, the ghost is a character or the ghost manifests in some way, but they don't necessarily have to have a ghost featured in them to be classified as a Ghost story. That's a ghost story. Um, they can just be uh, taking place in a situation or a world mm-hmm. um, where ghosts could exist.
0: And that's every world.
1: And that's every world, right? Yeah. So really, anything could be categorized as a ghost story according to the definition of what a ghost story is. Interesting. Yeah.
0: I, that it just in what you were saying just made me think. I never even considered that or thought about that when I was a kid oh let's tell let's tell ghost stories yeah but rarely did they have actual ghosts in them no really if you think about it no huh they're always just kind of eerie well I think too um thinking thinking back to some of the best stories um little quips I think that um that are meant to keep us in bed and not roaming around the house at night um, so they, are a lot, a lot of times it's something in the closet or something under the bed that's going to grab your foot or, um, but, but all designed to keep kids in line, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> in some no. way.
1: I think that's actual uh, an absolute function yeah. of ghost stories, particularly modern ghost stories. Yeah. Um, I think that's an absolute function. Um, so another fun thing about ghost stories I think is worth mentioning is that, you know, these are things kind of similar to how we were talking with folklore last week. Mm -hmm. Um, These are things that can be passed down either through written tradition or orally. Yeah. And so, and oftentimes in ancient societies, because ghost stories have been around since basically humans have been around, there's always been this idea of ghosts. Um, So, you know, if they've been passed down orally from generation to generation, it's really hard to pin down where the exact origin of a certain ghost story sure. might be. Sure. Um, and kind of how we were talking last week on folklore. Uh, it's all about the human experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and people tend to be afraid of very similar things across True. the globe. Yeah. Um, they're, they're framed from a different perspective, obviously. Um, but at the core of what the fear stems from is similar. And in this case, yeah. it would be death. Yeah. Right. So um, that fear of death is kind of a common Mm -hmm. human element. And so ghost stories appear across the globe and sound similar, even though they're told from different perspectives. Um, And I think that's important to kind of note and and remind ourselves is that, you know, when we sit down and share ghost stories with friends and things that we were familiar with growing up, um, those same sentiments are found <laughs> hundreds you know thousands of miles away yeah. on different shores yeah um and i think that's what's really neat about ghost stories
0: i love that do you um do you find that very often they're told in the first person to to lend to the authenticity or if it's not the first person then it's a friend of mine or my friend's cousin or someone
1: this happened to someone I know To make it even more relatable Mm -hmm. to give that degree of separation. Mm -hmm. That's very small. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, And and that's kind of um, that's kind of a trope of, you know that oral storytelling tradition i'd say is that you know typically it is always related back to the teller in some way maybe that's not an experience of the teller but it's an experience that someone related or known of the teller had and what's really cool about ghost stories is that one of the most traditional ways that they are told from generation to generation and this is more of a modern day trope i'd say Mm -hmm. um is that they're told uh in what is known as the campfire tale yes which is a actual official category of storytelling i
0: saw that when i was looking around yeah Yeah. and i love that Mm -hmm.
1: because you do when you think of ghost stories you do automatically think of okay sitting around the fire Mm -hmm. with your family or your friends and you know sharing spooky tales um and kind of passing down that uh, tradition, yeah. uh, to other, to other folks. I think that that is one of the most prevalent ways ghost stories are shared, especially in modern society. Mm-hmm. So super interesting stuff with ghost stories. Um, so I thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about how they originated. Okay. Yeah. And in order to talk about how ghost stories originated, I think you have to really drill down what were ghosts all about. Yeah. So okay. um, the the concept of the ghost has been around since kind of the dawn of time. Um, and our idea of what the ghost is, is kind of borrowed from ancient society, ancient cultures. Um, and so... Ancient cultures believed that the the body kind of had two separate parts to it. You had the physical body, you know, what you see, what's walking around. right? Um, flesh and blood. And then the soul, um, which was kind of the spirit that lived within, drove the emotions, drove the thoughts, and all of that good stuff. Um, and so when we pass, when we die... It's really the deterioration of the physical body, but it's not a deterioration of the soul or the spiritual Mm -hmm. body. And it was believed that that soul or spiritual body then moved on from our human existence, our physical existence, and moved into an afterlife that was a spiritual realm. Right. And that has been a common thread in religion and spiritual belief, you know, to this day. And that, I mean, that has spanned the dawn of time. Yeah. um, That belief. So what's really interesting is in ancient society, that transition from the physical realm to the afterlife um, was seen as a really important transition. And it was seen as something that we could actually have influence on as living beings. And what I mean by that is. Ancient societies placed a lot of importance. On funeral rites. On burials. Yes. They felt like these were really things that had to be done properly. Yes. In order to ensure a peaceful passage to the afterlife. Yes. And if these things weren't done properly. Then there was no guarantee that the soul would make it to the afterlife right. and they might stay here Be in the physical to plane. wander Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that is why they place so much important on those funeral rites. Um, the sight of a ghost in those days, um, it wasn't necessarily seen as an, eerie terrible thing but it wasn't great Mm -hmm. um in fact even if you saw a loved one or someone that you knew it wasn't necessarily something you should be very happy about because it meant their soul wasn't at rest they weren't where they needed to be um that's a good point and, and so In ancient societies, they really viewed it as if you saw someone, you saw a ghost, Mm -hmm. um, it really was then your responsibility to figure out what happened and kind of help that soul find the afterlife. Yeah. So it was almost seen as this kind of quest um, when you saw a ghost to kind of help the ghost transition to the afterlife. It wasn't necessarily this this spooky, eerie thing that we view it as. It was just seen as this, oh, no. what happened that it didn't make it um so that's kind of where it was in ancient society now i will say that when christianity moved in um that attitude kind of shifted and it, it it kind of shifted because if you know Christianity um, even a little bit, you know that the belief is after you pass, you either go to heaven, you go to hell. Yeah. Or in some instances, depending on what version of Christianity you believe in, mm-hmm. uh, you might go to purgatory. Purgatory, right. Um, but there's no real room for you to stay here on earth. Yeah. In Christianity. And so the church kind of recognized that there was a large group um, believing that, you know, folks could stay here mm-hmm. um, and they didn't that that didn't bode well for them because that meant that they didn't believe in Christianity. And so they had to kind of convince people um that no people can't stay here mm-hmm. that's not correct mm-hmm. they have these are the three categories by which yeah. they can travel um and so how they went about that um is they started to associate ghosts with the demonic of course and so by doing that they were not only able to make it eerie and spooky but they also were able to make it seem as if it were a trick that the devil was playing a trick on you and that you should not believe that the ghost that that is a ghost or that that's your loved one that is clearly the trick of the devil or trick of the 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 demonic yeah um, and so in that way, more negative attitudes sure. kind of surrounded ghosts. Whereas before it wasn't great attitudes, yeah. but it also wasn't this terrible, spooky, evil right thing that now the Christian church has kind of introduced. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where um, ghosts start getting a bad rap. And then um, adding into... Uh, That kind of attitude was the scientific advancement society sees. Um, You know, science is advancing. Technology is advancing. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden... There's no data. There's no way to (laughs) capture a spirit. There's Mm -hmm. no way to quantify that, right? So if I can't quantify it, if I can't capture data on it, then it certainly doesn't exist. That's just a superstition. And so now not only is ghost evil, but ghost is uneducated. Yes. And so really quickly in society as we develop, you're able to take what used to be just uh, a belief around a burial, right, and turn it into something wrong. Yeah. You can't believe in that. Right. And we're still kind of struggling, I think, personally, mm-hmm. with those ideas today. I mean, I know I personally do believe yeah. in ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also consider myself a very highly educated person.
0: Exactly. Yes. And so
1: you're kind of still reckoning with this attitude that has pervaded the years that mm-hmm. if you believe in ghosts, you clearly don't believe in science, which doesn't necessarily need to be the case.
0: Absolutely not. Right. So
1: it, it, it's something that I think folks with these particular spiritual beliefs are still going to have to reckon with for a Mm -hmm. long time i mean it it has been part of our society for a long time and it it was an intentional uh, i would call it almost campaign um to make us think a certain way about the spiritual of course um so i think that you know that's something that we're always going to have to kind of fight um and one thing i did put down in my notes um a- if you look at how ancient societies treated ghosts it was a very natural po- process it was just the process of death going into the afterlife the soul yeah, transitioning right. and now all of a sudden it's supernatural it's not natural mm-hmm. it's super natural and there's a kind of connotation to that right yes um that that is not of the natural world even though that's originally what it was. It was just right. some, it was a transition of the natural world as ease is as, as natural as being born was dying and going to the afterworld. Right. So, um, I just thought that was a really interesting, um, uh, Note, Um, And then the last thing I'll kind of say about ghosts before we talk about the stories that surround them is that in ancient society, you really get this picture of a ghost that is painted as kind of uh, a smoke wispy, um, you know, the mist in the distance type thing. And where they believe that belief came from is actually if you go outside on a cold night and you breathe out, you get the breath. You see the, breath. Yes. And so it was believed that ancient societies believed that that was a picture of the soul entering and leaving the body.
0: Wow yeah I, wow I did not know that yeah
1: so that's how this idea of a ghost is a wisp or mm-hmm. a smoke kind of came to be um and then I, I I truly believe I didn't find this in my research this is just my own opinion but I believe that kind of tracks in terms of that's a very natural thing you know that's mm-hmm. our breath kind of leaving our body that's very natural but then as you progress in society and as you know the ghost then turns into something demonic. You start getting these images of black shrouds in the corner and these evil beings lurking and in wait for you. Um, And when science kind of rolls around, you get orbs and things that are more quantifiable. Um, So I think the manifestation of ghost kind of tracks with what this societal attitude is toward the ghost (laughs)
0: uh well where then did you read anything the the sheet with the eye holes
1: you know i never um came across that in my research but i would be so interested to know where that came from
0: yeah and if that was um if did walt disney create that yeah <laughs> i mean
1: right was that kind of a disneyfication or yeah. you know Something to popularize Mm -hmm. ghosts in some way, to make them more familiar in some way. And it very well could be. Very well could be. Obviously, there are stories that surround these beings. And these stories have functioned in different ways over time, um, depending on the societal attitude. And so one thing that I found in my research is that, you know... Back in ancient societies, there were ghost stories that were shared more in an oral tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they always did surround kind of that idea of burial, right? You sure. know, be sure to do this, mm-hmm. to do this for your loved one, to ensure that they have a safe The um, coin for Charon exactly. to get
0: across the river Styx.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It was always surrounding the very natural act of death. Sure. Yeah. Um, but when they became popularized um kind of after the campaign to demonize ghosts um was when the periodic press was introduced and why you saw this resurgence in ghosts cuz you ca- i mean any time you look up ghosts you see the victorian era the edwardian era ghosts séances. Right. I mean these types of things are super popular and a lot of the the reason for that could be the periodic press because when they created mass content they needed something to fill the pages they needed something short they needed something that would capture people's (laughs) attentions and want them to read more and what better than a ghost story uh, to do that and so they were able to kind of mass produce these ghost stories in in periodicals and that's people were reading them people were consuming them and loving them and yeah And, and that's really where you see the resurgence start Um, And at the same time that the periodic press comes into play, there's this uh, this question of class, this question of where the economy is going, because this is around the start of the Industrial Revolution. Right. Yeah. And so when the Industrial Revolution comes in, um, you see a flock of people to cities. Right, there are more jobs that open up. Before then, you had you know, very distinct classes. You had aristocrats at the higher end of the spectrum, and then you had the working class. Sure. Now you see this growth of the middle class because more jobs have opened up. And so with the rise of the middle class and the Industrial Revolution, you also have the rise of the house servant. Okay. And so what's interesting about that is that in the home, there were now two types of occupants. You had occupants who were supposed to be there, and then you had occupants who were told that they had to be out of sight. And so all of a sudden, you have people coming through secret doors. You have people told that they have to be in the shadows behind screens. Things just have to be done for people that live in this house, but there should be no notice of how they were wow. done. Yeah. And all of a sudden the attitude starts to. I mean you can kind of see naturally. How the attitude would start to be. Well, how, uh, uh, things are happening that I can't see. Yeah, And why is that? And oh, at the same wow. time. So at the same time that's happening. You have these homes. That are lit by gas. Mm-hmm. And with that. Carbon monoxide. Can cause hallucinations. Sure. And so you have people that aren't typically seen coming in and out of doors Mm -hmm. and behind screens, and you're also hallucinating. (laughs) And so you're creating this atmosphere that is just ripe for the ghost story, right? Yeah. Um, Another thing that's really interesting is that science is kind of really moving fast at Mm -hmm. the time. And I know I said science before, was a hindrance to the ghost, right? It, it said, oh, that's a superstition. Sure. But in the same vein, it not only hindered people in believing in ghosts, it opened the door for people to believe in ghosts. Because science allowed us to start communicating with people beyond our scope of communication before. We were able to communicate with those in our community before, but now with the advent of science, I'm able to communicate with people hundreds, thousands of miles away across an ocean, and all of a sudden, the attitude is, I can communicate with those things that are unseen. (laughs) Oh, wow. So it, it opens up this entire, I don't know if you would call it subconscious or unconscious attitude, but it is open and ready for the ghost story to take hold. It was the perfect storm of events for ghost stories to be happening.
0: The impossible becomes possible. The impossible becomes
1: possible. I mean, if I can communicate with someone across, I mean, think if you're in the mindset of that time, I can communicate with someone who lives across the ocean. Why can't I communicate with someone who lives across a plane of existence? I know that sounds strange to say now. In
0: in the day when the advent of the telephone and thing, it it took weeks to get across the ocean. Yes. On a boat. Yes. So if you can now communicate quickly. Yes. Yes. That would, I feel like that would spark the imagination like nothing. Like nothing 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 before.
1: Like nothing before. Yeah. Um, So those kinds of attitudes start prevailing and that's where you really see the ghost story start to become popularized, start to take shape because the attitudes, the acceptance of the ghost story Mm -hmm. starts to open up, starts to take shape. Um, And so you see them becoming popular. Now, one thing I'll note is that the ghost story seemed to be at this time something of a seasonal thing. (laughs) Really? Yeah. So uh, we, I mean, in modern day society, we often associate the ghost story with Halloween mm-hmm. in the fall, right? That's yeah. just the the perfect time for it. But there's also a really strong connection between winter and the ghost story, and so um, that that isn't by you know that's not random that's no yeah. coincidence um, and it's not just because Charles Dickens wrote a Christmas carol right there, yeah, there's right. real reason as to why the go- ghosts and winter um, are connected so the winter solstice obviously occurs in the winter mm-hmm. um, it occurs every December um, and it, it, the winter solstice is the longest night of the year and so it has been a long held belief just in general that winter represents rebirth it represents death i mean you look outside and you see plants and nature kind of decaying um so that that that's an easy thing to visualize but it's also this belief that the veil between worlds is the most thin at this point it's darker more often Mm -hmm. yeah okay um death is occurring around us. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also a time when people are gathering together in their homes more often. Yeah, And so it becomes kind of this tradition While while you're in your homes gathered with your family around the fire that you tell the tale of ghosts that are able to travel between worlds mm-hmm. most often at that time. Right. Yeah. And so things like the, A Christmas Carol and other stories that are often associated with winter um, become more reasonable. Be, uh, the link becomes clear as to yeah. why kind of the, the colder seasons mm-hmm. are linked with the ghostly. Because you don't often get the summer and the fall. Uh, sorry, the summer and the spring associated with ghosts necessarily. It's usually the fall and the winter. And that's, that's probably why. It makes sense. It makes total sense. Like, yeah, it makes total sense. It makes total sense. So um, who are the famous people that told ghost stories? Um, obviously, there are way too many to mention tonight. Um, but there are, there are a few that I'd like to point out. Um, so the very first, um, or at least the first that scholars have found, um, feature of, of a ghost in a story is Orestia which is a trilogy of Greek tragedies which was first performed in 458 BC. Um, so that I mean that gives you a picture of how long ghost stories have been around. Yes, um, yes. and so uh, the next one I'll mention is Pliny the Younger who is actually a political figure in ancient Rome um, and, and this kind of goes to show that it's not only just you know storytellers that are telling these tales it's all sorts of folks mm-hmm. that are telling these tales but Pliny the younger had a great tale about a man bound in chains and his story kind of um was su- was surrounded with this idea of improper burial or something happened Historical. yes and so you can kind of see that attitude at the time yeah. again ancient rome being Oh, there's a they're stressing the importance of making sure um, the dead are at rest in peace yes. um, so that they can transition peacefully. You then have William Shakespeare. Um, he's very, he is no stranger to the ghost whatsoever in his plays. Um, and oftentimes, if you lo- take a look at his canon, you'll see that he uses the ghost in a very particular way and it's usually to foreshadow what's going to happen at the end of his play that's right and it's also usually um some commentary on injustice Mm -hmm. um you often see murder victims coming back and haunting their murderer in his plays and so he's using that as a very um, intentional literary tool absolutely um then charles dickens you have to mention charles dickens when you mention famous literary ghost stories a christmas carol um not only is that associated with winter which is a common time to tell ghost stories but it's also um, a very interesting way to use them as a morality Mm -hmm. kind of technique um in that you know these ghosts are coming back with with purpose they're not necessarily foreshadowing what is going to happen at the end but they're telling um the the being that they're haunting Mm -hmm. what will happen if you don't listen to me i know i have been to the afterworld um and so that is kind of a really interesting literary technique charles dickens uses so all of those folks are men Uh um (laughs) but it's not only men who tell ghost stories women tell plenty of ghost stories um, and in fact, the ghost stories that I've chosen for this episode to kind of chat a little bit more about are both from women. Um, because I think women use ghosts in a really interesting way. And from the research I've done, I, I just feel like they have something to say mm-hmm. when they're using these ghosts aside from, you know, the typical morals or things like that. Um It seems that a lot of female authors use ghosts as um, representatives of the female plight. Um, And and by saying that, I mean many ghosts in female-told tales um, are beings that want to participate in life but can't. They're stuck in some sort of way. Yes,
0: that makes sense. Perfect
1: sense. And this is especially true of uh, female writers who were writing in the Victorian and Edwardian eras. Okay. Um, you'll see a lot of tales told from the female perspective where these ghosts want to influence the human world, but they can't. Yeah. And it's a real interesting commentary about how women were kind of treated in society in those particular eras. And so I thought that that was really Um, Interesting to just kind of point out that how these tales are told really are framed by the experience of the teller, which is is true of any story, right? Um, But how the ghosts function, you can really kind of read into how the ghosts function. And depending on the era and depending on the teller, um, you can kind of tell what was going on at the time. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's like art. It it is. It is exactly like art. It's exactly like art. Well, it is
0: art, but you know, literary art's literary, yeah, whatever. Right. Yes.
1: So I thought it would be fun to kind of share mm-hmm. um some different tales. You wanna agree. read one? Uh yes. I didn't so uh, the the two I chose were probably a little too long to like actually read. Okay. So I just wanted to kind of give you an overview, um and just some things I felt about them. So the first thing I wanted one I wanted to feature is probably one that's some people, if you're familiar with the story, might not necessarily categorize as a ghost story, but it is um, The Yellow Wallpaper <gasps> yes. by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Oh, my God. I love that story. Oh, it's so good. Um, it's a super unusual spin on a typical ghost story because it doesn't necessarily feature mm-hmm. a ghost per se. Right. Um, instead, it features a narrator who's narrating this kind of as her diary um, is how, how, it, how the story is set up. Um, but she's just gone to um, this kind of summer home with her husband um, and she's just had a baby. And she goes to the summer home because she's, she's just experiencing some... Um, some issues after having the baby and her husband who's a physician thinks that it would be good for her to get away Mm -hmm. um and so he takes her to this kind of secluded summer home um to do to do so and they decide that their room is going to be in this attic um with this horrid 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 yellow wallpaper Mm. and you kind of watch this woman fixate on this yellow wallpaper and she's not really allowed to to leave the house or the grounds i should say she can go into the garden and things like that but she's not really allowed to leave the property while he travels back and forth to work all the time and she doesn't really get to take care of her child mm-hmm. she's not really allowed to do her writing she's a writer but she sneaks off and does it mm-hmm. um She's not really supposed to do much of anything. And you kind of watch this woman descend into this mental state where she feels trapped. And she feels there's no purpose. Mm -hmm. And her purpose becomes investigating what the fuck is this yellow wallpaper all about. (laughs) And she thinks she sees a woman in the yellow wallpaper. And she thinks that that woman is sneaking about the house at night gets out of the wallpaper and sneaks about the house and sneaks about the grounds. Um, and that's, I think where the ghost story comes in sure. the supernatural element. Uh, but you watch, um, it, it's just brilliant writing because mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. writing starts in a certain way where you kind of get this very formal picture of what a summer looks like on this Island and, or a state. I don't know if it's an Island for sure, but, um, but then, at the end of the story, you get this kind of very frantic writing about tearing off the wallpaper and yeah. and freeing and, and freeing the woman. And how dare they tra- trap the woman in this wallpaper? I'm going to free her. And you realize that it's really all an allegory right. for her situation, yes. and she's descended into this. And what I really love about that is that it was clearly a commentary on this 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 idea that the woman is trapped mm-hmm. and she has no ability to um to to escape because this ig- ignorant like willful ignorance of men yes. um and there's just some really interesting commentary there um but what i also love is it at the same time challenges this idea of female weakness because even though you see the narrator descend into this kind of mental state where she doesn't really know reality from what's going on in her head um, she's never afraid of the woman in the wallpaper right. which you would think if you like if you legitimately saw a woman ghostly woman creeping about in yeah. the wallpaper you'd be kind of wigged out uh no she's not wigged out she wants to free her yeah how dare you keep her in that wallpaper um so i think that there's like this interesting commentary not only about the situation of women but also the strength strength of women women, um in that story and if you have not read the yellow wallpaper i mean obviously you know what it's about now but it's still well worth a read because of how well Written, it is. Um, I just reread it um, probably a couple days ago for this podcast, and it still—I mean, it's a pretty short story, so it's not not really anything to get through. Um, but it's just a brilliant piece of writing that kind of clearly depicts this descent into being unable mm-hmm. um, to discern reality from not, and uh, but also being very strong as a woman. So. Highly recommend The Yellow Wallpaper. Excellent, excellent, excellent ghost story. One of my favorites. Um, And something that I think highlights how women have used ghosts throughout history to demonstrate their plight. Yes. Excellent. Yep.
0: That's a good one. That's a really good one. Yep.
1: Okay. Well, my second story, (laughs) I mean, it's a good, it's, it's fantastic. It's not just good. It's fantastic. So this is called Lacrimosa. Um, it's by author Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Um, I have a lot to say about this story. It's fucking good. Uh, it is, so you can find this on Nightmare, which is a horror and dark fantasy magazine online. Oh. Um, and so it's, I mean, I hadn't known about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got all sorts of great. Uh, Up and coming type authors and things like that mm-hmm. featured on there, um, and this is one that's on there. Um, this lacrimosa story, it all it comes a little full circle in that it is based on the La Llorona legend that I <laughs> talked about last week. Yeah. Um, but it's a super modern spin on it. Mm-hmm. And so the, the idea behind this story is there's a man who has moved from his home. Um, he uh, has moved from his home in Mexico north to Canada. Um, and in Mexico, you can kind of tell throughout the story, he lived in more of an impoverished community. And now in Vancouver, Canada, he lives probably more... I mean, it never really goes into detail, but you can probably guess that he lives a pretty middle-class life. Mm -hmm. Um, So much different than what he experienced before. Um, But throughout the story, you kind of see him interacting with um, a homeless population in Canada. And he's not... I mean, my first reactions my gut reactions to him is he's not a great dude because he sees them as very less than yeah um which immediately makes me dislike him right because Mm -hmm, he sees these homeless people as less than uh but then you kind of go into the story and see how he grew up impoverished and um and how he starts relating this homeless woman particularly that he's fixated on to the legend of la Rona because she continues to call for her children um, And you see him starting to relate it to the La La Rona legend he grew up with in Mexico and how it's kind of freaking him out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then you start to learn more about how he left his mother and sister in Mexico. to move initially to california to make money to send them but didn't make enough money and then eventually moved to vancouver where he made enough money but he had lost touch with his mother and sister and so didn't send them money and you can kind of see this um this interesting situation where he abandoned his mother And so he's seeing La Llorona everywhere weeping for her lost child because it's really his mother weeping for him. And it is, I mean, it is a stunning story Mm -hmm. how she kind of unfolds that and unpacks that. It also uses water because if you're familiar with the La Llorona legend, she um, is associated with rivers and lakes because of drowning circumstances. Um, And it's always raining. In Vancouver in gray and there's water leaking in his apartment and it's just this really beautifully woven story about this ghost tale that a man has grown up with that has invaded his adult life. And he thinks it's because of one thing that he's yeah. around this homeless woman. But in reality, it's because he's neglected his family. And it turns out to be the story about family um, and class disparity. And at the end, you see him kind of approach the, the woman, you know, wailing for her children. Yeah. And he at first described her as greasy and and at the end you see him just describing her as this older woman that could be his mom. And he doesn't know because he's lost touch with his mom. He doesn't know where she is. And so he has this empathy for her all of a sudden that he didn't have at the beginning of the story. Um, and I think it's just a really wonderful tale. And I think that, I mean, it's a, more, it's a modern story, right? Because it, it, I think it was written... I, in maybe 2018, 2019 published on this night on this nightmare magazine. But it's again, a female author using a traditional ghost story to tell the plight of womanhood, even through a male lens. Mm -hmm. It's talking about a mother's loss of her children Mm -hmm. and the despair. Um, And also this commentary on this man left his mother and sister alone yeah. and to make money for them that he never sends right? Um, and how they're forced into this situation where they they take care of themselves they take care of one another and and while you don't really get to see that story play out mm-hmm. um, you kind of see how they were forced into mm-hmm. this kind of you know non-reliance on the the man and the family um, and able to kind of survive and thrive without that um, so I, I thought that was a really cool story.
0: Guilt and, as the paranormal force. So. Guilt
1: as the paranormal force, for sure. Wow for sure so i would highly recommend reading lacrimosa by sylvia moreno garcia she's awesome um i know she has a lot of other work out there that i have not explored but i plan to after reading that short story mm-hmm. because it was just i mean it's great from every moment it was captivating it was brilliant writing and on top of it it used that ghost story in such a different way nice. but i thought it was cool that's great it was
0: really cool awesome what do you think what the hell heck yeah what the hell hell yeah what the hell hell yeah what the hell oh hell <laughs> what the hell i don't know it's devolving people it, it is really? it really is i don't even know, really don't know. okay so do you want to go you want me to go i'll go
1: all right I'll let it rip go. so my what the hell of the evening is all about haunted real estate okay yes so this stems from in college i knew a man who was a realtor and we had a really interesting conversation one night about if it was part of the law that you had to disclose if a property were haunted or not.
0: Okay, I, I think, right, that's part of the law. It is not. Oh, great. Yeah,
1: so here, here, here it goes. This gets really, really spooky really fast. So it is part of the law that a seller has to disclose any material issues they believe are wrong with the home. So if they think there's some sort of issue with the foundation in the basement or a water leak or what have you, anything physically wrong with the house, if you're selling the house, you have to disclose what you think is wrong with the house, right? That makes sense. Um, But beyond the material, the physical, it gets a little gray and it's completely up to the states how they want to handle anything beyond that. So, you have some states that have certain rules, like if something very violent happened in a home. Like if somebody dies in a home? Or dies or something like that, you have to report. But not every state requires that. Um, And, in fact, there are some states where they don't have to report anything. So, if someone were to die in your house... If, so, if a violent crime t- were to have occurred in your home. If your home were to be, say, buried on top of a cemetery. No. Not
0: necessarily Has disclosed. Has anybody snab, they not seen Poltergeist? Mm, I guess not. So
1: not necessarily disclosed. So I tried to look up some of the information for here in Ohio. And while I couldn't find exactly what the laws were, because I'm not like a legal es- expert and can't decipher that language. But... I did find that the laws are pretty lax here in Ohio. However, there are some realty companies that say, "Hey, you know, just our code of conduct, our code of ethics, we're going to reveal as much as possible about this house. We don't feel comfortable not revealing certain things." And so, they'll reveal cer- they'll reveal, you know, certain things that have happened happened in the home, um, just from that particular real estate's perspective. Okay. Um, so there was one really cool realtor here in Columbus, um, and I, I, I shouldn't say one, a couple of realtors have done this. When a home, a seller discloses that they feel their home is haunted, they kind of lean in and they book the home as own your very own haunted home and it seems that when they do that mm-hmm. they get a high volume of folks that <laughs> of sickos purchase. like us <laughs> yeah I'm like okay absolutely that's the home I want to purchase absolutely yeah. um but yeah I was just super fascinated by that because you don't think of that you like if you're a homeowner or if you're ever in the market to buy a home like in the future like it's not necessarily something you would think of to ask like is this home what has happened here before yeah right like usually you're thinking of the very material things like how many bedrooms or bathrooms yeah. does it have you're not thinking of like did someone die or like did something very violent happen or is it on top of a fucking cemetery <laughs>
0: jesus
1: and they don't necessarily have to s- disclose that wow Could especially if you don't know your ask. face about that yeah well, not necessarily lie to your face, but let's say you never asked because who, who, who typically thinks to even fucking ask those
0: questions? True, true.
1: They don't have to tell you.
0: Wow. Yikes! What y- the
1: hell? Yikes! What the hell? Major what the hell? Okay.
0: So, yeah. Thanks for that nightmare. You're welcome. As we sit in the basement of your house. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, okay, my what the hell is the 1980 Italian film Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, it's commonly referred to as the very first example of a found footage film. Okay. So, uh, it was directed by Ruggero Diodato. It follows this anthropologist, Henry Monroe, who leads a rescue team into the Amazon rainforest, um, to locate some filmmakers who had gone missing. Um, they were filming that the crew that had gone missing, they were filming a documentary about, uh, local cannibal tribes. Okay. Um, so when the rescue team uh, get there, they recover the, um, the footage, the cans, the film, um, and an American television station wants to broadcast the footage as kind of like one of those uh, uh, sensationalized kind of uh, television specials. So upon reviewing these reels, Monroe is appalled by the team's actions and objecti- uh, and objects to the station even airing this thing. Um, but so the movie was inspired by some media coverage that happened of something called the Red Brigade's terrorism, um, uh, things that went down and it included some news reports that the director of this film believed were staged. So the whole point is this movie is so goddamn graphic mm-hmm. that the director was forced To um, he was arrested because they it it was believed that they actually killed human beings. Oh, my during the the filming of this. Um, I mean, later he was, of course, um, he was exonerated, but he was arrested on these obscenity charges. And uh, later. Oh, wait, let's see. The film was banned everywhere because of this. Uh Um, it did have, I mean, the graphic content, it's insane. I watched about five minutes of this movie and just could not, but there is absolute real violence towards animals. And then there's, um, pretty graphic depictions of sexual violence, of course, that kind of thing. But the whole point is, is this movie was so graphically shot that the director was, uh, arrested. Arrested. Yeah.
1: Because they thought he did something. Yeah. Because
0: they thought that real people were murdered. There was real murder being depicted on this, on this movie. If you, I mean, watch it if you dare, but yikes. But anyway, this is, this is considered Jesus. the movie that kind of gave birth to the whole notion of the found footage, the Blair w- Witch Project. And the, uh, When did and this come out? This came out in 1980. It's an Italian horror movie. Okay. Sometimes Italian horror movies are not for the faint of heart, man. They go all in, and this movie goes all in. What the hell? Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. It, you said
0: real violence towards animals? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, come the fuck on. I know.
0: I know. I know.
1: I'm over it. I'm over that.
0: I know. That makes me want to light it on fire. Yeah. Like, I'll, what the fuck? Yeah. Put him in jail just for that. Yeah. For sure. Um, for sure. <laughs> <But yeah. laughs> oh, my God. But, yeah. So, I mean, I think about 1980. Think about what the, uh, um, the special effects were like in the 80s. Especially oh in, like, God. 1980, early, like, late 70s, early 80s. Well, yeah,
1: and then to have people review it and think that it was real. That it was
0: real. Oh,
1: God. Yeah. That makes you question a lot. Like, uh-huh. Yeah.
0: And I think, what was that movie that uh, I feel like we may have watched it together? Green Inferno? Oh, Jesus,
1: we did. That was, like, one of the first movie... Salon Nights, right? Salon Nights, yeah.
0: Um, I think it's what... I. I feel like that movie was trying to be this movie. Got it. In some way. But and it wasn't it, as graphic. No, it, it fell short. And I think...
1: Jesus, it, because that movie was fucking graphic.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was. But in the 80s and in, in Italy, I mean, there was no... When did the MPAA ratings even come out? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so this one would have been like a triple X. Jesus. But yeah, there it is. Oh. What the hell? What Cannibal the Holocaust hell. 1980 Italian film. It's still banned in some countries now. Oh, well. Right.
1: Well, awesome. Well, this was fun. Yes. As always. Well, thank you for listening, horror nerds. Um, we super appreciate you sticking around yes. with us. Um, we would love to hear
0: what your favorite ghost stories are. Yeah. Your campfire stories. Yes. The stories that scared the shit out of you Hell as a little yes. kid. Hell yes.
1: Um, so please, please, please share those with us. Uh, you can find us at info at salon.com. We would love to hear from you. Um, follow us on Instagram at at. The Horror Salon. We've got fun stuff going up there all the time. Little fun tidbits about what we're up to throughout the week when we're not recording. Um, the Horror Salon, as well as some exclusive kind of links to our pizzos before uh-huh. the episode, and what the hells, and all sorts of fun like stuff like that. So please follow us at The Horror Salon on Instagram. Um, we do have a website, TheHorrorSalon.com, where we put some fun content up, particularly show notes. For every show, Um, so we give you all the links to all of the great resources that we use to come up with the show. Um, So please, please, please check us out there if you want to go down the rabbit hole with us. And then if you are listening to us and enjoy what you hear, we would so appreciate a like a subscribe, a review. All of that helps us um, reach more horror nerds in the community, and we love to do so. And
0: hone the craft. What could we do better? What do you love that we do?
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, What do you want to see us do?
1: Absolutely. We would love to have your feedback. Yeah. So please let us know, um, and share this podcast with a friend, with a fellow horror nerd. We would super appreciate that, um, obviously. So, with, with that, that, I
0: already sloshed the candle out with all of slosh the You so, he did slosh it. slosh
1: it. The candle is out. The Pazoos is most definitely emptied.
0: Thanks for joining us. As always, I am your co-host, Andemic.
1: And I'm your co-host, The Witch. We'll catch you next time at the Horror Salon. Where we curate the strange and unusual.
0: Until dawn, do us part. monsters it's the witch and endemic music for this episode is rage by the 126ers check out our website for show notes and links to some cool extras later nerds